Hi, Dan. Welcome. Hi. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. It's my pleasure always uh, having conversation with you. I learn a lot from you. So you have worked in with many large corporations on innovation transformations. What is the biggest mindset shift these organizations need to make to succeed with innovation in this century? Right. It's a it's a very good question, and uh, I think it's actually a very relevant question. I think that the biggest shift, and here, obviously, at different parts of the organization, different people need to have different mindset shifts, and they need to experience things differently. But I would answer your question from the perspective of an executive, or a CEO, CFO, chief operating officer, anybody that has the same front. I would say that the biggest mindset shift they need to go through is to understand the fact that they can't pick the winners uh, with with innovation. You can't just say, okay, look, there's there are 20 ideas in front of us or 10 ideas or five ideas or even two ideas presented to us. Let's just think now really, really, really hard on which one are we going to select to develop. It doesn't work like that because innovation has, like, like in startups, right? Uh, it has so much uncertainty behind it that the only people that can judge if something works or, or doesn't are obviously the clients and the team that observes if the clients like their products or they don't. So the biggest shift that they need to make is from trying to pick the winners to trying to allow as many you know ideas to happen. And by happen, I mean let a lot of ideas experiment, go in the market, run experiments, run tests, build prototypes, interview people, all that kind of testing that ultimately is going to tell you who are the winners and who are the losers. But if you lock yourself in day one and say, I like that idea more than I like the other one, or I think that idea will succeed more than the other one, it's all based on assumptions. And people obviously have, have a lot of assumptions about what will work and what wouldn't based on their experience. So it's not a um, it's not a sustainable process if you're in the long term, if you have to pick the winners. So as far as I understand, you always talk about managing innovation like this portfolio and spreading bets. Indeed, indeed. It's basically, listen, they would they, they need probably to speak with you about about how do you invest in startups, right? Because you're not you're not investing, look, I like this idea more than I like the other. You are actually uh, looking for the evidence whenever you're making an investment. And uh, not only that, but you are allowing part of your portfolio to fail. You accept the fact that not everything will succeed, not everything will return. But it's fine as long as at the end of the day, your fund and your portfolio is obviously um, on, on, a, on a plus. Uh, they need to have the same approach. Instead of managing, um, you know, projects, they should probably manage portfolio. Oh, they will be uh, balancing the moonshot and incremental innovations within their portfolio-like venture capital funds. Yeah, I would actually try to stay away from incremental innovation. I would encourage them to do more adjacent and, and, and transformational innovation. Because incremental, it's already kind of happening throughout the organization, right? People are evolving products, are evolving services from last year to this year and obviously to next year. But try to have this mindset whenever you are reaching beyond your core, when you're reaching beyond that incremental innovation, when you're, when you're reaching towards the transformational areas, the, 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 the disruptive areas, that's when you start starting 
to have this need of, hey, I need to I need to manage my portfolio rather than managing individual projects. This is an example of a company that is pioneering this next generation innovation that you describe, uh, innovation accounting practices you find inspiring, by the way. There's, there's many companies out there that to some extent do a good job at, at using KPIs in order to manage their funnel. Uh, I can name some, but even if I do, I'm probably not going to make justice to the people that I'm not mentioning. Because <laughs> again, I haven't seen like, you know, the entire world and all the companies in the world. Um, I'm a big fan of what's happening in Telefonica. I'm a big fan of what's happening in, in DuPont. Um, I think I think IMG is quite interesting as well. Um, again, these are just some names, some companies that I have encountered, uh, I have spoken to, I've researched. But again, I'm sure there are many more out there that are doing maybe a, even a better job than the companies I mentioned. Back to the basics. What are the main difference than these, <clears throat> as we know, traditional finance accounting, financial accounting, and innovation accounting? Should you describe for the ones that do not having the term understanding for the listeners? Sure, sure. Uh, I think the main the main difference between financial accounting and and innovation accounting. And by the way, when we when we wrote the book, we never intended for innovation accounting to replace financial accounting standards or replace financial accounting in general. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, when uh, when we wrote the book, we basically said, look, before a an idea becomes financially successful and you can manage it with financial accounting indicators, there's a big chunk of time where you don't have any metrics. Why? Because the nature of the business is very different from, uh, from a mature business. This is why you need to have innovation accounting. So innovation accounting is not replacing financial accounting, but, but it's more complementing innovation, uh, sorry, it's accounting for the part where you won't be able to re re respond to those financial KPIs. Imagine that you're starting a product idea tomorrow in a large organization or in a startup. It's basically the same thing. Uh, literally for the, for the first six months to a year, maybe three years, you won't be able to answer questions such as return on net assets, customer lifetime value, customer acquisition cost. These are all financial accounting indicators that literally you need to have a, a, a stable business to be able to answer. What innovation accounting comes in and says, look, there are other indicators that you can use in order to know if a venture is moving in the right direction, right? Like how much confidence do we have based on the experiments they are doing? Uh, what is their learning to experiment ratio? How far along are they in our product life cycle? How long they took to get there? There are so many other questions that you can ask somebody that's early stage um, to answer before they, they, they even report or start thinking about financial accounting. It's, it's like, like athletes. Think about, think about it this way. Um, if, you, if you have kids and you're sending them to a, a running team, uh, you are not going to measure them when they are five years old or 10 years old against the performance of Usain Bolt running the Olympics because it's impossible for them to compete or even report on those on those numbers, right? Usain Bolt is running in below 10 seconds. I don't think a 10-year-old will run 
in in below 10 seconds. So it doesn't make sense. They should compete within their own group and, and then start comparing a 10-year-old against a 10-year-old, but not the 10-year-old again who signed both. And in, in, in some organizations, executives sometimes make this mistake. They take a 10-year-old and comparing it to the Usain Bolt, which is basically the core business. And this is why they are always disappointed. Look, you haven't hit your targets. Yeah, but you know, I just started my idea three months ago or six months ago or a year ago. Of course, I haven't hit my target. But look, I've done all these other things that are proving to you that I'm on the right track. And I am learning. I am going to become a big business in the future, maybe bigger than, than their core business. Maybe I'm going to run faster than Usain Bolt. What are the, some key principles or guidelines to follow when designing an innovation accounting framework for these companies? It's a really good question. I think that in, in the book, we presented some some principles. And to be honest with you, I can't cite them from, from the top of my head, even though I, I wrote the book. Uh, I would say that probably the most important ones, and again, I'm using my, my real-life experience of having worked with, with many organizations trying to implement this. I think uh, the most important Two, two principles would be, first of all, try not to uh, boil everything down to one single indicator. Don't try to measure the performance of your overall innovation with just one indicator. Why? Because that particular indicator might be wrong, or uh, even worse than that, people might game that indicator. People might, might find ways in which they can report it in an untruthful way, just for them to look good, you know, for their careers, on their resume, and so on and so forth. So that would be one. Just don't try to measure everything with just one indicator. Uh, second, I think you need to consider layers of indicators. And in the book, we talk about the, the ecosystem layer, the funnel layer, and the, um, and the team layer. Uh, try to have indicators at each layer of the uh, of the system. Uh, don't just try to look for indicators that are only speaking to executives, or indicators that are only talking about the funnel, or indicators that are only relevant for the teams. Try to have a um, a mixed bunch once you start doing that. Uh, why? Because indicators have a tendency to influence each other. What I'm measuring at team level will influence my funnel, and what I'm measuring in my funnel is going to influence the overall performance of innovation. So just don't make that mistake and just saying, oh, we're only going to fo- focus on funnel, or we're only going to focus on, on, on teams indicators. I think this will be like the, the two most, most, uh, most critical ones. Talking about also the innovation accounting, how can... Uh, this approach help assess the effectiveness of R&D spending uh, or early stage innovation investments. Um, yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I mean, you it, it's going to boil down to how every organization is is designed because in some organizations R&D expenditure is part of the cost of innovation. In some organizations, is not. What I usually tend to say is that R&D is the process through which we convert money into ideas. Innovation is the process that converts those ideas back into money. We can't can't have one without the other. If we're just doing R&D, we're going to be sitting on a lot of patents that nobody's commercializing. And I've seen many organizations, and I, I don't want to name names here, but I've seen a lot of German organizations that um, are, are very, um, very much driven by how many patents have we launched every year. Well, I said, well, 
that's that's a good indicator for telling you if you're converting money into ideas and if your R&D process works, but that should not be your North Star indicator for performance. Because otherwise, what you're basically doing, you're incentivizing people to, to lock themselves in labs and try out new things without any direction for, for commercializing those ideas, without even asking themselves, who the hell needs this? Or why, why are we spending time building this? Much in the same way, you need innovation. Innovation takes those ideas out of the lab and puts it in the hands of people. And now you are talking about, you know, business models and commercializing stuff and doing all the all the things that, for example, the apples of the world are good at. I'm not saying that Apple doesn't do R&D, but if you take your your iPhone, I suspect you have an iPhone, or or people that are listening might have an iPhone. If you look at the components that are inside. Very few of them are actually Apple components. The battery might come from, from, from one company, from one vendor. The screen might come from another one. The charging cable might come from another one, so on and so forth. Well, those people that invented those high-resolution screens spend a lot of money on, on, on R&D because they've invented those screens. What Apple is doing is, is taking those ideas, if you want, and making them back into money by creating products like you know, the MacBook Air or the iPhone or, you know, all of these products that we're so used to. He outsourced this innovation process, just dealt it with us uh, in the long run. Uh, I don't think it's a good idea. I mean, we know what happened with, 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 with Asus and, and Dell, right? Like, basically, Dell created Asus because they were just driven by, by financial indicators. They, in essence outsourced everything except for branding and 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 sales channels i think they even the sales channels at one point they uh, they've outsourced but no definitely innovation should shouldn't shouldn't be outsourced and unfortunately in the work that i'm doing and i'm not trying to criticize either the, the corporations or the vendors themselves what i'm seeing is that a lot of large organizations rely on venture builders to make innovation happen uh, that's that's nice and that's fine, but that's only going to work in a short term. That's only going to work for the next quarter, this year, or maybe one or two years down the line. But if you want to make innovation a repeatable process and a sustainable process, very important sustainable here, sustainable in the sense of I'm actually making money out of the money I'm investing, um, innovation should be considered a critical function this is why organizations need to build internal capability. Again, I have nothing against using venture builders. Every now and then is good because you can definitely speed things up with a venture builder. But overusing that and not training your own muscles on how to innovate, it's very, very detrimental in the long term. You will not feel the effects on, on, your, on your balance sheet or in your performance next quarter or at the end of the year. But definitely a couple of years down, down the line, you're going to see that in essence, you're not able to do anything because for, for all this time in the past, other people have done things for you, i.e. the venture builders build products for you. Again, I'm not criticizing. I, I don't work in venture building. I have a lot of friends that work in venture building. And this criticism goes for, for both sides of, of, the, of the equation. What do you think about the innovation labs in the companies? It's a really good question. To be honest with you, if you would hear some of my podcasts and see some of my, my conference recordings from 10 years ago, I was very much opposing the idea. 
uh, I was like, oh, this is not good. This is not sustainable. And I'm not saying that I moved very far away from that, but I think I became a bit more pragmatic. I think that innovation labs are great as long as you have a plan on how to move away from an innovation lab. If you're building an innovation lab and say, okay, innovation lab is built now in between now and the end of eternity for as long as our company exists, we are only going to do innovation in the innovation lab. That's very detrimental and you should not do it. You should close the lab. You're, you're not doing it right. However, if you say, listen, we haven't done innovation in our life ever before and we're just starting now as a company, let's build this off-site thing where we do innovation, we call it innovation lab. Why? Because we want to see and we want to learn how innovation happens. We want to see if we can attract the right talent, if we have the right processes, if we can finance it properly, if we're good at our innovation strategy, all of those things. This is a very good way to start, but don't consider that as your only option. Like once you build it, you should have, you know, a plan on how to sunset it. It's very important. And again, I think a lot of organizations go into building those labs without a plan on sunsetting those. And then in the future, those labs literally become bottlenecks for innovation or become places where we send people that are very uncomfortable in the core business to have a side career, if you want, right? So they, they become these prisons for, for, for creative people because we're so busy in the core business doing other things. Um, again, I, I've always been critical of innovation labs. Now I warmed up to the idea because... I know that it might be able to help organizations that are very early on in their innovation journey and they just want to start things out. Again, for the people that are listening, try to have a plan on how to move away from the innovation lab. Try to have a plan on how do you distribute innovation across your entire business. Do you want to do a decentralized function? Do you want to have a hybrid function? Whatever it is, but don't keep it central for a long time. Uh, Think about it like like riding a, a bicycle, right? You put you put those training wheels on because you need them when you're three years old and you're trying to learn how to ride a bicycle. But you're not going to be able to run the Tour de France and win with training wheels on, right? Those training wheels need to come off. So what is your plan on, on those training wheels coming off? When are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? What are you going to transition to? Don't consider the innovation lab as being your final answer to 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 the problem of uh, of innovation and again many organizations have made this mistake of just building a lab and then considering that to be their final thing and they can move on to doing other things and then that lab over time became a bottleneck. at the team or project level what metrics or kpis are the most usable for measuring innovation progress it it really depends here on the on the maturity of uh, of each project or, or or each product or each each team. Um, but personally, when uh, back in the day when I was coaching startup teams and I was co- coaching product teams and I was actually a product owner at one point myself, um, I think that the very important question that teams need to answer is questions around velocity. How fast are we learning? Are we doing enough experiments? Are we learning enough in a unit of time? Or are we just dragging our feet, locking ourselves in and just coding stuff? Hopefully we're going to launch something in three years, five years, four months, whatever. 
So I think if you are going to look at the um, the performance of an individual team or for an individual venture or a project, try to look at their velocity. How fast are they moving? How fast are they are they are they moving? And how fast, very important, are they learning? Like you know, doing validated learning, doing doing experiments, being in the market. Uh, I would say those are the most important uh, the most important thing. Obviously. To that, you can add uh, indicators around confidence. So how confident are you that they are moving in the right direction? And how has your confidence uh, shifted or evolved based on the actions that the team has taken? Uh, let's say at the beginning, I'm not really confident you guys are heading in the right direction. But three weeks from now or five weeks from now, I'm, I'm seeing results from a certain experiment you have done or a certain feature you have released. And now this brings back the confidence in you saying, oh, you guys are really on the right track. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm probably preaching to the converted here. You are, you are a startup investor, so you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you, you have this mindset of like, look, guys, I'm not really confident that, that your, your venture is moving in the right direction. But if they come back with some data, some results from certain experiments or, or some metrics, proving that they are moving in the right direction, then your confidence increases. And whenever your confidence increases, they are most more likely to raise more capital from you. Mm. Additionally, on um, follow-up to your comments, there are vanity metrics, for example, lots of startups are using. So what yeah. are some of examples of vanity metrics uh, undermine the good innovation measurement? There's, 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 uh, there's a lot of those, right? And it's so easy to probably come up with vanity metrics, right? <clears throat> in, in the startup world, in product world, you can look at, you know, number of users or number of followers on certain, you know, social media platforms. Uh, those are, you know, top of top top of mind. Uh, revenue. It's it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a vanity metric at one point uh, because you don't know exactly if that revenue came from one client from ten clients from a hundred uh, did it come from clients that were sticking with your product for six months or or clients that just purchased it today and they have to leave tomorrow again revenue is not telling you if you're profitable not telling you anything about your cost structure even even profitability sometimes can be masked as as uh, as as a vanity metric i mean there's so many so many examples out there of startups that people think oh they made it big and then they went bust uh, think about we were think about uh, the latest one what's it called uh 23 and me they had an ipo and and now they are penny stock right so again, even even revenues is and, and profitability can be vanity metrics. Uh, if you're looking at in, at internal innovation in corporations, number of ideas that we have in the pipeline, it's a vanity metric. Uh, number of ideas that are being implemented can be a, a, a vanity metric at one point. Uh, I think I think what's important here is going back a couple of minutes ago. Um, when, when we said what, what are the principles of innovation accounting system, well, don't try to measure everything with one metric because that metric probably has a good tendency of becoming a vanity metric. Uh, if we man manage every organization by pure profitability, we're probably not getting the full picture. Where did the profitability come from? Did it come from them selling the buildings, like the headquarters that they have in order to be profitable? Uh, did that profitability come from just core products? 
or did it also come from adjacencies or tra- transformational product? Again, pro- profit, revenue, it's not, it's not, it's not telling you the, the entire story. That was, um, you know, trying to tie back to, to the conversation that we had earlier about Asus and, um, and Dell. In Dell, they were basically just managing with, with Rona, return on that asset. That was it. That was their do or die indicator. And um, obviously, the Rona was, was moving in the right direction, but was not telling you the, the, the entire picture. Like, look, we totally outsourced production to a foreign country, and now we can't do anything but branding. So again, you know, they, they were successful at failing, if you want. How can abstraction be used to provide innovation insights to different layers of the organizations? Yeah, abstraction is one of those uh, those things that I, I mentioned earlier, right? It's important to have indicators on on um, on various layers of the organization. What abstraction does is that you're taking indicators from one layer and the values of those indicators at one layer, and then abstracting that to the next level and the next level after that. Why, why is it important? Because a CFO or a CEO will never necessarily care about how fast is an idea moving, right? What we just talked about earlier, velocity. You probably don't care that much about it. But I think that through abstraction, they will look at other indicators that are, in essence, influenced by how fast ideas are moving. Take, take this example for, for um, you know, for, for this particular conversation. If an idea is learning a lot, right? If the product team is learning a lot, you are going to increase your confidence in them as a, as a manager. So that confidence is going to manifest itself through uh, the money that they get, but also through how fast they are moving through your life cycle. So they are moving very fast from stage one, two, three, four, and so on and so forth. Well, the faster they are moving, the shorter the time to market it is. So time to market, it's an indicator that definitely a CFO might be interested in or a CEO might be interested in, but it's influenced by, by, by the learning velocity of, of individual teams. So the CFO will not be necessarily interested, look, tell me the learning velocity of all my teams as much as he would be interested in, in, the, in the time to market. True. And... Taking the blame out of the system, how does it impact the culture around the innovation then? It's, it's always impactful, right? Because the, the, moment, the moment when you start not blaming people and blaming the process or blaming the system, then people are, are, are very much keen on getting better and, and, and improving, improving themselves but also improving the environment and the process they are working with. If I come and say, look, Barack, I think you've done a bad job, you're going to take that personal at one point. No no matter how I frame it, you're going to take it personal. But if I come in and say, look, that project failed, let's look at why did it fail without placing blame on you. And then we identify, look, I don't know, we haven't had the right investment framework or uh, it was not really clear when I need to do a prototype or how much I'm allowed to spend on a prototype, then that particular thing is taking blame away from you, moving it into something that we can influence. We can we can both contribute to improving the system and the process. You work lots of with lots of companies. What is the funniest or most bizarre objection to innovation accounting you have heard? Oh objection to innovation accounting. <laughs> um, yeah, I always hear stuff around this doesn't work from organizations that haven't even tried it. So 
I think this is the most common one. Like, oh, this doesn't this this doesn't work. We can't measure innovation. Or or, or funnier than that, people say we shouldn't even try to measure innovation because uh, innovation is about culture, is about you know people coming up with loads of ideas and all of that stuff, like people moving away from, from pragmatism. I think those are the most uh, the most common ones, I would say. What book or books have you had the biggest impact on your thinking around innovation and the process? Oh, man, there's so many of them. There's, there's like literally tens, if not hundreds of books that influence my work with the corporate startup, but also with, with innovation accounting. I wouldn't even know where, where where to start, to be honest. I mean, probably the first books would be Christiansen, The Innovation Dilemma, and The Innovator's uh, Solution, all of those books. And again, a lot of great books from, um, from, um, from Rita McGrath, Discovery Driven Growth, for example. Uh, you know, The Lean Startup, obviously, we need to mention that one. Um, there's, 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 yeah, as I said, tens of or, or or hundreds of books. So I'm trying to stay away from naming books. Already, I named uh, you know three or four because I'm probably not doing justice to the other people that I'm probably forgetting now that made mm. amazing contributions that I've used, I've cited in the books, I've referenced stuff to them. So uh, yeah, I mean, take any of my two books and skip everything, go to the last page and you see the, the list of references there and uh, that's that's basically it. Inside your podcast, what podcasts or vlogs do you follow to stay on the top of the latest innovation insights, especially innovation? To be honest with you, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm necessarily subscribed to one single podcast or one single, um, you know, channel. I'm uh, more likely to click on something and listen to something that catches my eye in terms of either the speaker or the topic. So I can't say, look, I'm only following podcast A or podcast B. Um, I think it's more about, you know, the, 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 the topic and, and the speaker. Yeah, HBR has a great has a great podcast, but not all of their episodes are good. Some of them are really bad. So <laughs> again, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's variations from, from episode to episode in every single podcast. And this this one episode, you know, for your podcast is going to be the same. It's going to be different than the, the other episodes. For better or worse, we don't know that. Like the listeners are going to tell us how much they liked it. But I'm usually I'm usually just trying to to follow um, certain certain people that I I respect that I I like you know hearing what they have to say. Uh, but also um, you know if uh, if there's a really interesting topic about you know an organization has done things differently or whatever it was, I like to follow that as well. Which conferences are there in the uh, in this uh, article in this sector that you uh, regularly attend join? Um, there's many um, <laughs> sorry there's there's many conferences that are interesting for corporate innovators. The one that I'm usually going speaking at is uh, Innovators. It's uh, it's a it's a franchise that has grown a lot in the past ten years, and I think I I owe part of my success to that conference in particular because I've met a lot of great people there, a lot of people that I've interviewed for our books, a lot of people that offered to uh, you know help with research. Uh, so. In in parts, I think I I, I I owe a lot to to Hans and and uh, you know the entire team actually at, at the innovators, not 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 just uh, not just Hans. Um, 
Um, that's that's one. Um, yeah, I think I think there's there's a lot of them. Also in uh, in Southeast Asia, there's tech sauce. There is slush, which is again a really great uh, great conference. More, more startupy, but again, you're gonna have people there from CDC. You're gonna have people from corporate joining there as well. If you go back ten years and give huh. your younger self advice, and you first started consulting with large companies, what would it be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm answering from the top of my head, so maybe if you're gonna ask me the same question tomorrow. I'll probably have reflected more. Uh, <clears throat> I would say that um, by far the uh, the most important, uh, the most um, advice would be try to understand the other party. Try to understand why people are thinking or doing or saying the things that they are doing rather than coming in and saying, look, you are the holder of the eternal truth. Uh, others don't know anything. They need to listen to you. You know, going back to to accelerators. Ten years ago, I was criticizing and pointing my finger to a lot of companies doing accelerators. Uh, I've warmed up to the idea over the past couple of years or 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 more because I realize now what is their motivator uh, for for going down that path or doing that kind of uh, that kind of uh, taking that kind of approach. So. Um, I think it's very important to understand what's the driving force that um, that motivates people to take the actions that they are taking. Yeah, you have been traveling a lot. Where is the where is your favorite travel destination that you go go back? It's a hard one. Um, I think I think every single place I've been to was uh, was great in its own way, but it's very difficult to say now. Look, uh, Southeast Asia is better than Turkey. Or, uh, or, or, or Turkey is better than Lisbon, or uh, Portugal is worse than than Canada. It's very difficult to say that. Every single place I've been to, I would like to come back to. Let's put it this way. Um, I think I think that's that's the better the better answer, to be honest with you. And I'll, I'll, actually, it's not it's not just the better answer. It's just the honest answer. So, are there any fun facts that nobody knows about yourself? Oh. I don't know how you define fan, so it's like we need we need to we need we need the definition of that. I I don't know how how you how you describe that or what you are looking for in in the question. I can definitely tell you more, but you have to be more specific. Funny facts means such as you can be a part of a band, or you you have you 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 are the windsurfer or a wave surfer that nobody knows, but you have a hobby uh, or a right. Any talent, skills that nobody knows, or even not a skill, but something else nobody knows. And you are, for example, you like Legos, and your home is full of Legos with the, I for wish, example, this kind. I, <laughs> I like them so much, but I have a small apartment, and I can't, I can't fit all the Legos I want. I only have two, and every single time I pass by a Lego store, I'm just like, oh, I don't want to go in because I'm probably going to leave with something. So. <laughs> um, yeah, Le- Legos are, are definitely something I'm, I'm, I'm into. So if you ever want to bribe me, just go in and buy a Lego set. No matter how big, I'm still gonna love it. Yeah, I mean to answer to answer your question, I think I think sports it's it's very important for me, and it's been it's been part of my culture and it's been part of uh, part of my uh, my my life to be honest with you. So 
I've done a lot of sports and still doing a lot. So I'm, I'm really enjoying the, the outdoors. If I'll have the opportunity, I'd much rather be outside doing things in the outdoors than being, uh, being inside. We can, uh, we can discuss serious stuff, but we can also discuss it while walking or while hiking. I'd much rather do that. And this has been such an insightful and fascinating uh, conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking the time to share and also the experience with me today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.